Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths that empower us to walk in God's will. Jesus is not only the door of salvation, but he also is the door to opportunity by which we must walk through to be used by him. All power is given to me in heaven and earth, Jesus said in Matthew 28, as he sent them out. If God has called you, then he has gifted you. He has called you, he has enabled you. You used to seek him to see where is it that you fit, what are your gifts, where do you serve, and you do it faithfully. God opens those doors, you walk through. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? That question from Scripture is a challenge to put our focus on that which really matters. Today, as he takes us back to his study series in the book of Revelation, Pastor Xavier examines the simple truths of Scripture's prescription for living life more abundantly. Let's listen. What an eye-opener we've had as we've seen how the church has deviated and corrupted themselves so soon after their inception. Therefore, as we have uh, seen the messages of these seven churches, they are very applicable for all who ever hear the gospel, not just the churches, the seven of them, in the day of John. The seven messages, as we said, to the seven churches are representative of four things. The local church in John's day, they were literal Churches. Then a period of church history which we give to you, which prophetically the men of the church have seen so far. And thirdly, the type of congregation that can and will exist throughout the church age. And fourthly, is the type of Christian in their own personal relationship to the Lord. So we can all examine the type of Christian we are and what kind of church we're in and judge ourselves. And if there needs to be some adjustments and some acknowledging that we do so before the Lord and that he take care of that. Now, the pattern, again, of these seven letters to the churches is consistent with few exceptions. There's the proclamation, the commendation, then there's the condemnation, the exhortation, and the application. And only Sardis and Philadelphia here do not have condemnation. They're the only ones. Once again, the church of Philadelphia... As all the preceding churches have that we've studied need um, to be studied in its historical background in order to see the relevance of the letter and how it is addressed to her and the things that are said because they're all related. Let me read here our text in chapter three of Revelation, verse seven. It says, "And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, write these things." says, he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the keys of David, he who opens and no man shuts, and shuts and no man opens. I know your works. See, I have said before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie indeed. I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my commands to persevere, and I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar of the temple of my God, and he 
shall go out no more. I will write on him a name of my God and the name of the city of my God and the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The historical information about Philadelphia is important. The city of Philadelphia was an ancient uh, Lydia of, of Asia Minor. Uh, again, Paul did much of the missionary work there in Asia Minor, as we've seen. And the city was located 25 miles or so, or 30 miles southeast of Sardis, along the Hermes River Valley. Today it is called Alasir. They're in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. The city was uh, on the border of Mysia, Lydia, and Phrygia. These are common names as you go through the book of Acts. And the city was founded by Adalus, the king of Pergamos, in 189 B.C. The king named it in honor of his brother Eumenes, whose um, loyalty and had earned him the name of Philadelphus. Philadelphia means brotherly love. So Philadelphia is a city of brotherly love. The city was founded intending that it might be a missionary of Greek culture and language to Lydia and Phrygia. And the goal was fulfilled. The Lydians had forgotten their own language by A.D. 19. The city was situated on the edge of the Great Plain on a 650-foot terrace above the sea level called Katstak o Mani, meaning burnt land, because it was a volcanic plain. Consequently, it was a very fertile land, and because of that, it had center, it centered on grape growing. So it, it, the, the, the crops gave great yield there. And the strategic location at the junction of trade route was there leading to Mysia, Lydia, and Phrygia, uh, and had helped it to earn its title of the gateway to the east, having great commercial importance. So you always have two things important in the olden days when you're going to establish cities. First is roads and then water. Very important. If you control the roads, you control the armies. If you control the water, you can stand and attack. And you have food and water. Very, very important. The Church of Philadelphia was the youngest of all seven churches. The church, again, without doubt, was a result of Paul's um, missionary outreach that he did in his few missionary journeys from Ephesus. And um, today it is still a Christian town. The Church of Philadelphia is said to cover the period of church history from 1750 to 1950. But I think it runs till the rapture and overlaps Laodicea as I study the seven churches. They both run together, and then Philadelphia is removed, and Laodicea becomes the church of the Antichrist. So they run hand in hand till the Lord removes her. Now, Philadelphia is known as a missionary church, which is, uh, was possible only because of its uh, brotherly love. The Church of Philadelphia represents those who come out of the dead Protestantism, uh, those that depended on God, uh, His Word, and the power of His Holy Spirit, in contrast to Sardis, the Reformation that ended in a state church killed it. Anytime you make something mandatory that manipulates the people, it corrupts everything. You cannot force anybody to be a Christian. It's something that individuals do and God takes care of that. Those who were willing to take the Great Commission and run with it by making themselves available here 
representatives of the Church of Philadelphia. Now, we know that during this period of church history, great revivals occurred all over Europe, the British Isles, Africa, and South America, to mention a few. So God, in His grace, always pours out His Holy Spirit. And the ultimate one will be the book of Joel, chapter 2, that was quoted by Peter in Acts 2, but it also goes all the way into the tribulation and great tribulation, and he makes no distinction. There's going to be one of the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit during the tribulation and great tribulation. And, and many are going to come to the Lord in spite of the difficulties and the horrible time that will come. It's amazing. God's mercy. Now, there are two interesting things to note during this period. The printing of the Bible in other languages took place, which allowed the Bible to go all over. And there was a marked increase in the study of the premillennial return of Christ at the turn of the 1800s, which had been dead since the third century. So we mark these two important things, the printing of the Bible and a looking to the return of the Lord once again. And those are always important. You have your Bible and you know Jesus is coming. Okay, studying and watching and being ready. Now, the religion of Philadelphia is the other churches, you know, because all these churches were in pagan countries and they were in the world and they had all the religions. And the gods of Philadelphia were Artemis and Escalapius with their temples. And we've seen both of them. Both of them are uh, sexual uh, gods that were worshipped through sexual practices and pagan gods. Dionysius was the god of revelry. And was worship in um, relation to the incredible wine industry. Emperor worship was established in the city between A.D. 211 and 217. And it earned the title of Neochorus, meaning temple warden. In the 5th century, it was given a nickname, Little Athens, because of its proliferation of festival and pagan cults. You have Mardi Gras. You have uh, carnival, all these things. So this was the historical background to Philadelphia. Now, having this background, we'll be able to examine the letter and to see the things that are stated to her. And once again, like all the other churches, to see the relationship of those words. First comes a proclamation in verse 7. Notice the identity of the recipient of the letter is the angel of Philadelphia. And once again, as in all others, the word Angelon is a messenger of God. It's talking about the pastor, the one who ministers the word of God is not talking about an angel and it's the church ecclesia those called out of the world to God those out of darkness into the marvelous light a transformation has taken place the name Philadelphia again means the city of brotherly love the identity is once again fitting notice there in seven our Lord identifies himself as he who is holy this identity is not found in the description of the first chapter as others yet the first two are found in the sixth chapter and all are implied in the description of the glorified Christ as it focuses on his very holiness and genuineness of the risen Christ, both in chapter 1 and in chapter 6, verse 10. He is glorified. He is there majestic, the high priest. The description identifies the character of Jesus by one of his attributes that make him distinct from man who is sinful. All men and women are sinful. All of us whether in private or in public, we will sin. All of us fall short of the glory of God. Yet there has been a change in our life. That's not where we live. That's not where we are always at. We have been transformed. God has changed our minds, our hearts, and our life has had a drastic, drastic change. And our families and our friends and those around us have been the first to witness that. 
Now the seraphims, you remember in Isaiah 6, 3, cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The fiery ones, that's what uh, seraphims means. And they, two, they fly overhead, covering their face, two, their, their feet, and two, they fly, declaring the holiness of God. Isaiah says, To whom will you go liken me to? Or shall I be equal? Says the Holy One. Isaiah 40, verse 25. Holy One is a title of God throughout Isaiah. Very, very key. Habakkuk declares God is the pure eyes and to behold evil. In other words, he cannot look upon evil with condonance or some, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it. Habakkuk 1.13. God has to judge sin. God has to deal with sin. Either he deals with it on the person or the person of his son. One of the two, but it must be dealt with. Holy, holy, holy is what they say. We're told to be holy for he is holy in First Peter uh, one sixteen, quoting again Leviticus and many other books. Now notice our Lord identifies himself as he who is true. The word true, alethinos, means real or genuine as Messiah in contrast to falsehood. So the one who's speaking is absolutely holy, absolutely truthful, the absolutely genuine Messiah. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father by me. He said to his disciples in John 14, 6. Truth in the world is relative and subjective. It is changing ever. It's depending on the culture, relativism, situational ethics, value clarifications. You have the political correct language today. And the new vocabulary, the new dictionary has been put out. And bad is evil's good and good is evil. And it's a, the whole confusion that's going on. From the uh, highest office down to the public school education to the workforce, everything is permeated. First John 5.20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given to us understanding that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. John calls Jesus God. Many times people say, where does the Bible say Jesus is God? That's one of many, that Jesus is God. Our Lord, notice, identifies himself as he who has the keys of David, still in seven. Keys speak of authority and power to control, knowledge as well as identifying his royal office. The prophecy refers to Eliakim in Isaiah 22, verse 20 through 22, who was a steward over the house of King Hezekiah, placed over the house of David. Again, all that we see here is related to the scriptures. When John is writing, you must keep in mind, when he's writing this, all they have is the Old Testament. Okay? When they're talking about the scriptures, they're talking primarily of the Jews who have the Old Testament and the New Testament letters that are going out now. There is the dual prophecy of Solomon and Christ, as you remember, in Second Samuel 7, 12 through 13. Solomon, the first short-term fulfillment. Jesus Christ, the long-term fulfillment, ultimately. Christ is the key to unlocking the mysteries, the mysteries of life. He gave to Peter the keys, if you remember, of the kingdom to preach from at Pentecost and later on in the house of Cornelius uh, at Matthew 16, 19, where Jesus took his disciples to see Philippi and he says, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah. He said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed thou art Simon by Jonah, flesh and blood is not revealed to you, but my father, which is in heaven. And upon this rock, that I'm the son of the living God, I will build my church. Not that Peter was a rock. He was Cephas, small stone. Petra is a gigantic stone. Jesus is that stone. And in Acts chapter 2, he preached. In Acts chapter 10, he preached to the Gentiles, the house of Cornelius. 
Now our Lord identifies himself as he who opens and no man shuts and shuts and no man opens. Jesus is not only the door of salvation, but he also is the door to opportunity by which we must walk through to be used by him. People sometimes are often trying to push their way to be in ministry, to do this, to do that, or to be this, or to hang out with this person. And it's just, it's not natural. If God has called you, then he has gifted you. He has called you, he has enabled you. You used to seek him to see where is it that you fit, what are your gifts, where do you serve. And you do it faithfully, naturally. God opens those doors you walk through. You don't want to break down doors because then when you're in, you're in on your own. You get yourself in trouble. All power is given to me in heaven and earth, Jesus said in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen, as he sent them out. Jesus said, for without me you can do nothing in John fifteen five. And so this was um, the proclamation to Philadelphia. Next comes the commendation in verse 8 through 10. As we said, there's no condemnation to Philadelphia. So the commendation here, Jesus knew what they were doing and had done in the past as the other churches. There is absolutely no condemnation to this church. She is small as we'll see. She's dependent on him. She is looking to him. She is following him. The word to know again is intellectual knowledge to understand and perceive as to the other churches Infinite penetrating vision as we see Jesus Christ in chapter 1. He sees all things. He judges all things. Nothing escapes him. And Jesus is never shocked over your life or mine. He may be grieved, but he's never shocked. He knows all things from the beginning. The works, again, refer to that which has been going on. They are occupied in. They're undertaking as God through Jesus Christ, open these doors and they walk through them. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We studied in Ephesians 2.10. Then notice Jesus had set before them an open door and no one shut it. Now, it's, it's nice to have a door, but you've got to be able to have it open. And certainly here, Jesus is the one that opens it and he's directing himself exactly to them because this is what's really going on in this church. The city was the gateway, remember, to the region of the ancient world. So the door was personally for them. I have said before, you. This was God's direction. The word see appears five times in the church of Philadelphia. It's translated behold in verse 11. But in the old King James, all four are translated behold. In other words, pay attention. Verse 8, 9, 11, and 20. Okay. So, we're to be looking for the Lord. Lord, open doors. Behold, boom, here's a door. Here's another door. Rather than being distracted, not even seeking Him or asking Him for that, okay? But looking for that, expecting that. This door could not be opposed. He opens it. Now, the door was sure. Notice Jesus had opened this particular door and no man would be able to shut it. It may be impossible with man. Things may look... Not that good, but if God has called you and directed you and guided you, then he will open those doors. We've seen it time and time again through the years here. Remember that Philadelphia was a border town with the mission to spread the Greek language and culture and fulfilled it. So in other words, the gospel is to go into the world, to permeate the world, to change. It changes everything. The gospel permeates your life and it changes you. Transforms you. The city lay on the road of the Imperial Postal Service. Interesting. Roads were very important to get the word out. 
the armies of Caesar traveled in caravans, and now the missionaries of Christ are going through these things. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth the Son made of a woman under the law, Galatians 4.4. 4. The fullness of time, the right exact time, one language, Greek, roads all over the world, peace. Three things were important to get the gospel out. Right on time, God sent his son. Now this open door, notice, was to proclaim that Jesus was the door to the sheepfold of God. Jesus made it very clear in John 10, verse 7 and 9. The relevance of this open door is seen as Ramesses explains the geographical setting. Listen carefully. Quote, Philadelphia lay at the upper extremity of Long Valley, which opens back from the sea. On passing Philadelphia, the road along this valley ascends to the Phrygian land and the great central plateau, the main mass of Asia Minor. This road was the one that led from the harbor of Smyrna to the northeastern part of Asia Minor and the east in general. The one rival to the great route connecting Ephesus with the east and the great Asian trade route of medieval times. Philadelphia, therefore, was the keeper of the gateway to the plateau. How relevant the message in our geographical and historical setting. Uh, God is God is contemporary. William Carey, as you know, the cobbler, went to India and started a factory, and he learned a dozen languages. Uh, he became professor of uh, Benhali, Sanskrit, and uh, another word that I can't even pronounce. And he um, sounded the gospel across the length and breadth of the land, and he built the finest college in the country producing a brilliant translation of the Bible and hired missionaries and hammered at India's heart. And God touched his heart and just transformed him in the mission field. This was and is the open door of opportunity to spread the gospel, the mission of heaven. Now notice the reason Jesus opened up such a door is threefold. In verse 8, this church had a little strength depending on Jesus Christ. These were the few of Philadelphia who had depend on the Holy Spirit and, and the source of all activity in the church. Now, we need to be careful realizing that God does use people. But we certainly don't want to live in such a way to where we're calling the shots and we just become great organizers and, and uh, marketing people and, and we run the church like a corporation. Jesus is the head of the church and he directs and guides us and we look to him and we want to make sure that we're following his lead. First in our own lives, then secondly, as the church of Jesus Christ. And that we go only where God wants us to do, only what God wants us to do. We can't do everything and we're not going to go everywhere. But we will do the things that God has called us to do and go where he wants us to go. And if we do that, then the others will do what God calls them to do and God will get all his will done. So we're not here to copy other churches or to follow other churches, but we're here to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Very, very important. These are part of the little flock who will receive the kingdom that Jesus said in Luke twelve thirty-two. My little flock. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily, he says. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? The answer is no. But he will avenge his elect, Luke 18, 8. In other words, things will get so bad that people will say, well, God's not going to avenge us. Oh, God will avenge us. But when Jesus comes back, there won't be faith that he will avenge. But he will avenge the evil. Because he's God, he's holy. 
numbers are nothing with God, for Sardis had few. Revelation 3, 4. Gideon had 300 men in the Old Testament, and uh, God used the 300. He opens the doors. He doesn't need many people. He just needs people that are willing to follow him and obey him. Pastor Xavier Reese, continuing a study series of the seven churches of the book of Revelation by highlighting the blessings that accompany a faithful heart, today on Simple Truths. And you can request a copy of today's encouraging study from the book of Revelation called The Loving Church, Philadelphia. It's available on CD for just $4. And this is one message you'll want to pass along to those in your home church or Bible study. The title to ask for once again is The Loving Church, Philadelphia. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800 926 1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please don't forget to include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Are you ready for the return of the Lord? Learn more of what's in store when you join Pastor Xavier Reese on the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 